Welcome to the Bonner Broadcast, a Bonner Pipeline Project initiative where we provide professional development resources for civically engaged leaders in the higher education and nonprofit sectors. In this series, we will be focusing on postgraduate pathways, with episodes covering graduate school, career changes, and networking. This episode is Following Footsteps, Pathways Through the Higher Education and Civic Engagement Field. Pathways into and within this sector may seem daunting at times, leaving us wondering, where do I start? What if my passions or interests change? How do I know what the next step is? In part one of this episode, we will hear from professionals at different stages of their careers. They candidly share their experiences, advice, and journeys through the field to their current position. Highlighted in this episode is an individual who began this pathway as an engaged student leader, one who completed a year of service program, and one who has held a variety of jobs in different sectors. An example of an individual who took the engaged student leader pathway is Anthony Syracuse, currently holding the position of Assistant Director of the Collaborative for Community Engagement at Colorado College. I'll let him introduce himself and share his story. I started here at Colorado College about two years ago. But I've been involved with this work, civic engagement work, since I was a Bonner at Rhodes College, starting in 2005. So sometimes it's crazy to think about, but I've actually been involved with this stuff for almost 15 years, <laughs> starting as a Bonner. Um, and I was really deeply involved with the community before I started college. I have a bit of an odd path. I, I started college at 21, so the, day, the age that most people graduate, right? Especially at these small liberal arts colleges, I was just beginning. And prior to that, I had been working, doing a lot of things. I traveled around the country and the world with my punk rock band, um, worked at a vegan soul food cafe for a while, uh, cleaned houses, uh, and probably most notably started a community bicycle shop. And the key thing for me, when I was a young guy, 17, I started this bike shop. I just wanted to help people, young people especially, who lived on their bikes day in and day out. But they were often the people with the least amount of resources to take care of their bikes. And basically said, look, you come in, you put in some sweat equity, work with us in the shop, we'll teach you how to build your own bicycle. Um, and I was doing that work before I went to Rhodes, before I became a Bonner. And I think that's a big reason about, a big reason for why I uh, was admitted into the Bonner program. Um, I was a first-generation college student. Neither of my parents had graduated from college. Uh, my sister didn't go to college until later. And especially going to what was a fancy college to me at that time is a pretty fancy place, Rhodes College, you know. And I grew up in Memphis, so I thought that's not who I am. Um, but I had a mentor who basically said to me, um, I think you belong at Rhodes College. And that really made me think, right? Like, well, okay, what does it mean to be at Rhodes College? What does it mean to be participating in classroom discussion? What does it mean to be in a thing like the Bonner program? And I honestly don't think that, well, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now if, if that one comment had not been made to me. You know, I was a high school dropout, so I was legally emancipated from my family. So I was coming from a background where I didn't have a lot of structures of support in place to help me find my path. And it's amazing how that one comment and somebody really being dedicated to me changed my life. I learned this later, and I learned this from one of my favorite faculty members, Dr. Luther Ivory, uh, who's a specialist in um, African-American religions, just retired from Rhodes College. He said, you know, sometimes people see something in you that you cannot see in yourself. 
And that's what happened early on in my life. And that's what really sort of set me down this track of becoming a Bonner, um, going back to Rhodes and running the Bonner programs. Getting set on that path 15, 16 years ago um, was something that I attribute to a mentor. And I had to learn a lot about myself, a lot about the world along the way. And she helped me to sort of learn some of those things. Um, but, uh, but I definitely wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation about civic engagement in higher education if it hadn't been for that initial mentor. Next, I asked Anthony about his pathway immediately following graduation. What did he see as his ultimate plan and how did it play out in reality? When I graduated from Rhodes, I did the Watson Fellowship and studied bicycle cultures abroad for a year. Um, and I actually have to sort of say, I think that was one of the things looking back that really kind of edified my commitment to the path that I've chosen. But again, a lot of this, and I think if I had to give any advice, and as we mentor young people coming up through the, the profession, one piece of advice I would give them is, you know, a lot of this doesn't make sense until, <laughs> until you look back on it, you know? Um, and when I went on the Watson, it was this year of purposeful, independent exploration, right, of, of bicycle cultures. And I came back and I thought, I'm going to be a bicycle advocate, you know. I had been doing that as a bonner. I'd started this bike shop. I'm meeting with uh, Senator Corker and Senator Alexander, going to Congress every year, trying to get policies changed, you know, working at the state level. And I get back and my best friend and I, and this is a young guy I had, he's, he's a little younger than me. I've sort of mentored him, like coming through the bike shop. We both apply for the same job at the city of Memphis to be the first bicycle pedestrian coordinator in the city's history. And I'd been doing it for years and years. He just sort of went to planning school after he started working at the bike shop. And I'll never forget, I had come back from the Watson. I was at Swarthmore College at the Returning Fellows Conference. And he called me and he said, I just got a call from the city. And they said that they want me to take a drug test. And I realized at that point that it was done, you know, and that he was going to get the job. And I said, man, I'm so happy for you. And I was, but at that time I cried real tears because I thought everything I've been doing for the last five, six, seven, eight years, um, what am I going to do now? And I ran into the director of the Bonner program at that time at a local coffee shop. He's like, Hey, the coordinator position is opening in our office. Would you be interested in applying? And I was like, I don't have an MA. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm qualified for that. He's like, I think you'd be a great candidate. So I applied for it and got the job. I asked Anthony what inspired him to return to school and pursue his PhD. Here he is sharing some of his background and reasoning for continuing his education. As I worked at Rhodes, we were in student life. And here at Colorado College, I'm on the academic side of the house. But when I started at Rhodes, we were in student life. And I came to realize that the center of power in these institutions is in the faculty. And faculty got to make a lot of decisions, right, about a variety of different things. There was a moment where I was trying to kind of advance myself and trying to advance the work of focusing on Memphis and, and community engagement. And it got to the point where the provost had to make a decision and he basically just said, I can't promote Anthony, you know, because he doesn't have the bona fides. He doesn't have the education, right? He doesn't have you know, the, the sort of commensurate degrees. At that moment, two things clicked for me. I said, number one, I'm not going to allow that to get in the way of this work. So I'm going to get whatever I need to get, right? And then the other thing was I said, what am I most deeply passionate about, right? Academic inquiry is something I care deeply about. I have this research question about nonviolence. 
I want to pursue what is the history of nonviolence in the Black Freedom Movement. And so those two things kind of came together. And, and I said, you know, I'm going to go to graduate school in history. The one caveat I'll give you to that is before I came to that clear-headed decision, I wrote application materials for a master's in public policy. I wrote application materials for a master's of divinity. I wrote application materials for a JD, a Juris Doctor degree. Um, I went through all of these different degree programs. I, I took a week off and I went to Seattle and I just typed all this stuff out. And that was really the only sort of way that I could find to arrive at this big decision about where to go to graduate school, how to pursue the next degree. I ended up landing on history because I was passionate about it. I knew that getting a PhD would give me more ability to work within the academy. I've never regretted that decision. Next, Anthony explains how his PhD has aided his work and offers advice to students who are considering it as a possibility in their future. Part of what I take seriously every day and part of why I went to get a PhD is because I believe that my purpose on this earth is to help students learn. Going to get a PhD um, can prepare you to do that. I use the word can, not does, because a lot of it just depends on what your program is. When, when I went to Vanderbilt, when I applied and was accepted into the program, the director of graduate studies and I spoke on the phone extensively about the offer. And I told her I, at the beginning of this, I said, you know, Sarah, I am working in the field of civic engagement right now at Rhodes. I'm committed to the public purpose of higher education. I don't believe it's just a private good. It should be for the public good. And I don't know what my career trajectory would look like after going to graduate school, but it's possible I'm not going to pursue the tenure track. I want to envision some different ways of working in higher education. Her response to me was, that's one of the reasons we're very interested in you because PhDs in the core disciplines and especially the humanities, they need to show different ways of walking through the world and working in the world with a terminal degree. And we think you would be able to potentially provide an example of that. So for students who are really, if they're thinking, okay, well, Syracuse's path, that seems to be of interest to me. It's very important that you go into the right program with the right mentors and the right kind of support. It's been quite a challenging path. It has worked for me. Um, and now being at Colorado College, having a PhD, having been trained in sort of student learning um, and really seeing education as my central goal, it's paid off. Um, but it's not been a linear path. Now he speaks to his experience starting a Bonner program at Colorado College and how that has shaped his professional development. One thing that's really helpful about Bonner, you learn about every aspect of the college. So I've been working with housing. Um, I've been working with financial aid. I'm working with admissions. I get to work with numerous faculty departments. You touch on so many elements of how colleges do their work that if you're interested in senior leadership positions in a college, right? So maybe one day you want to be the vice president for enrollment, uh, or maybe one day you want to be a college president. You want to run a college. Bonner and administering Bonner programs is a great way to gain those experiences. Even at the coordinator level, if you're really interested in leadership and higher education, it is an excellent starting point. In conclusion, he speaks to power structures in higher education and his hopes for its future. We can't be ignorant of the way power operates in higher education. I would say especially in higher education because 
I think there's this idea that the culture of higher education is egalitarian. So we talk about race, class, gender, um, economic disparity, equity, you know, you grapple with a lot of these things, but just because we talk a lot about that stuff, maybe more than we do in our society, it doesn't mean that the structures within which those conversations happen are any more equal than society as a whole. I don't want junior staff members who are coming up through the ranks to get discouraged by that. Particularly for those who were Bonners before, a lot of the sensibilities about change making that you learn through doing your Bonner work, you can then start to sharpen, hone, expand in your role as a Bonner coordinator and ultimately as a Bonner director. So you can really be a change maker in Bonner and higher education needs that desperately. Participating in a year of service program is a popular postgraduate choice. Adrian Tharp, the coordinator of the Bonner Scholars Program at Waynesburg University, participated in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps following her graduation from college and shares her journey with us. I was born and raised in West Virginia and lived there pretty much my entire life until the year after I graduated college. I didn't realize it at the time, but service was just always a very large part of who I am. I didn't see it for the longest time and I just thought it was something that I just enjoyed doing. Um, and now I'm in a position where I've gotten to make a career out of that. I love being in higher education. It's just been not part of my plan and where I thought I would end up, but um, I, I can't see myself doing anything else. I asked Adrian to share a little more about how her path had changed from her original vision of her future. What inspired each step? Growing up, I always really was fascinated with like science and astronomy. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go work for NASA and, you know, do all these fun things. So um, in school, we always had to take these like career aptitude tests and all my things. I think I was trying to be something I wasn't because this is what I wanted to do. I was never a math and science person. Um, and all of these things were like, you need engineering, chemistry, physics. I'm like, I don't, I don't like any of that stuff, but I want to do this and study these things. And it wasn't really until I got to high school and I fell in love with journalism. Maybe this is what my path is. I was like, maybe I'll be a high school journalism teacher, or maybe I'll go into graphic design or something with journalism or communication. So my four years in high school really kind of segued into that. Um, and all while I was still really involved in community service. Flash forward to college, professional communications major and a literature minor. No idea what I was really going to do with that, but during my four years, everything that I did just kind of all lined up with graphic design. And my kind of big dream was maybe I'll go and do like desktop publishing or something with graphic design. During senior year, I'm looking at graduate schools all over the country. I'm, you know, looking at different programs. Do I just want to start working? Do I want to go to grad school? Um, but then at the same time, I was like checking out Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, all these volunteer programs. I'm like, maybe this is where I'm supposed to go. And I was at a Jesuit university. And when it came down to it, um, the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, I just felt very called um, to their program and their mission um, and the work that they were doing. And it was tough because initially I didn't have a lot of support from my family. They just didn't really understand, like you just went to college for four years. Now you're going to spend a year doing service. Like you're not going to be making any money. You're going to be doing this. I found a lot of support and comfort from my peers um, and faculty and just different mentors on the campus. 
I ended up accepting a position in Nashville, Tennessee um, as a street outreach and case manager working at the Oasis Center. Next thing I knew, come August, I was on a plane flying to orientation where I met about 40 to 50 other individuals who were going to be placed in different cities throughout the South. Met all of my roommates. After a pretty intense orientation, we fly to Nashville, Tennessee and spend the next year of our lives, you know, working together, living in community, um, being challenged by the service that we're doing. And during that year, I was working with um, homeless and street youth. So most of the youth I was working with were between the ages of 17 and 22, 23. Um, so some of them were my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older. I realized I wasn't using my degree in the way that I thought I was, um, but I was using it in different ways. Your year of service is almost ended. Now what? And during that year, I was like, this is only a year-long position. You know, what are my next steps? What's, you know, am I going to stay in this role? Am I going to look for graduate school? And I had an opportunity to stay there and continue the work I was doing. But I also had an opportunity to um, become an AmeriCorps VISTA at the university where I had just graduated from and their service center. And I ended up taking that. It was a little bit more stable. And that was really my first taste of being in higher ed. I was... Um, essentially the assistant director of our um, community service office. And I was working with students and being able to share my experiences from the past year and creating new opportunities for them. And after that, I was like, I, I don't want to leave higher ed. I, I want to stay here. I think this is what, what I'm supposed to be doing. And this position was only a year. So I applied for jobs all over the country um, in different you know offices similar to mine. Um, and about that same time, my um, direct supervisor was leaving and when her position became available I was like well it doesn't hurt to just like throw my name in and um, I was lucky and I was able to work there for about four years before I um, came to Waynesburg and started working here as the Bonner coordinator. Wasn't really part of my plan. I never like took I guess the steps to you know end up in higher ed. It just kind of became a natural progression but looking back to my time in college it all makes sense with the things that I was involved in, the experiences I was having. And at the end of the day, the experiences I was having out of the classroom, I found that were more beneficial to me than what I was learning in the classroom. Not that I'm like devaluing the education I received because that was beneficial, but I was able to apply that knowledge to real world experiences. There are countless options and ways to complete a year of service. How do you decide what the right option is for you? I feel like that was so overwhelming just looking at all the different options, but I often tell students like, what do you want? If you're wanting to do a year of service, do you want, do you want to live in community? Do you want to be part of an organization that's faith-based? Um, do you want a lot of support from the community you're in and from that organization? Are you willing to just kind of be dropped off somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just figure it out on your own? Or are you wanting something that's more like an internship experience? Or do you want a job that's more in a nonprofit? You really have no, no ties to something. You know, this is like your chance to really explore, um, a chance to fail, a chance to succeed and really learn and grow. Um, and I know for me, my first year of service was such a growing experience and transformative experience that... I would do it all over, um, I would do it over again and again. I don't think it's an experience for everyone. Um, I think it's something that takes a lot of commitment and a lot of discernment um, and a lot of you know, conversation, but 
I think it's definitely something people should really consider. Sometimes it's hard to do what people are telling you not to do. And I felt like I was, you know, making a lot of people mad with my decisions. But at the end of the day, it's like, this is my life. Like, this is my decision. Um, and by the end of it, my family had, they had nothing but support for me and encouragement when I was leaving to do my year of service. You might be wondering, how do I make these big career decisions? To conclude part one of this Career Pathways episode and share her decision-making process is Kelly Barron, a sustainability and social impact strategist and Bonner Scholar alum from the University of Richmond. I tend to make my career decisions based on the big questions I can't stop asking. So I loved my experience as a Bonner and the big question I couldn't stop asking at that time was, what are other Bonner schools doing? What is this, the mission of this foundation, the Bonner Foundation? Um, and through the Bonner Congress and being a summer intern, they ended up offering me positions. So I got to work for two years for the Bonner Foundation right after college. I got to travel all over the country, meet a bunch of other Bonner students, learn about the incredible work they were doing, learn about higher education and what higher education's role is in social change. And those were really big questions I was asking. And as I was walking down that path over those two years, another big question started to emerge in me, which was, wow, you know, higher education institutions can do a lot for social change, but I'm noticing that the sector that has some of the largest impact on outcomes for environmental and social justice is the private sector. And a part of my hippie activist self in college, I think would have been really like surprised by that big question that started to plague me. But basically during my time at the Bonner Foundation, I started to get curious about the private sector and how so many of the systemic issues kind of begin in that part of our society. And so it was during that time I applied for grad school and I went to uh, Madrid, Spain, and I studied corporate responsibility and sustainability. And so I went and studied it. That was the big question I was asking. And while I was there during that time, I ended up connecting with a Bonner partner organization called PeaceWork, which organizes international service learning trips for students. And they had just opened up a corporate division to start doing international service learning projects for employees from big companies. And it felt like the perfect use of my skills. And so I started working with them and I got to bring employees from large companies like PricewaterhouseCoopers, a big accounting firm, um, to international locations to work with community partners on social justice outcomes. So for that project, we did financial literacy in Belize. So all of a sudden I got to really get into the minds of employees at big companies and what's important to them and how they develop personally and how the company transforms over time to shift itself to support justice. I feel like I got to peek under the hood of one of the biggest companies and learn about their values and how they make decisions. And that gave me a lot of information about how the private sector can be transformed. And it was around that time, I also started asking, okay, <laughs> another big question, what, um, what aspect of the private sector is gonna grow the most and determine our future the most? And the answer is technology. So I started to really look at 
you know, how is Google operating and how are we sharing information and how are we using technology to improve environmental outcomes? And as I was asking that big question, I was at a conference and I ended up meeting the founding CTO of Uber, the founding chief technology officer of Uber, who was working on a new project. This was before Uberpool existed. Um, and we were still figuring out if everything could be in one app or there needed to be another app that's specific to carpooling. And they were looking for someone who could lead the sustainability department and do all of the environmental analysis of like, for example, if 50% of people who live in Atlanta, Georgia, started carpooling to work, what would the environmental impacts be for the city? And how could we pitch that to the municipality and to the government? And so I took that job. So I ended up actually working in the private sector, working in a tech startup. I moved to New York City and was really deep in all of these questions around tech and social change. It was around that time I also worked on another app called Action Button, which was about um, putting actions on news articles. So for example, if you're reading something about refugees at the bottom of that article, you could click a button that would sign a petition or send a donation or write to your local representative about you know, a policy that was on the floor. And I loved that work too. So I spent a few years living in New York, working in the tech scene. And as I was living in New York, which is a really stressful environment, and I noticed a lot of ego, both in myself and in other people, I started asking a bigger question, which was around spirituality. If we're gonna work for justice and building a new world and decolonizing our minds and decolonizing our work and decolonizing the, the system that we're all operating in, it's gonna involve some, some like spiritual strength. So it was during that time I started practicing yoga and exploring mystic spirituality, the spirituality at the base of Christianity, at the base of Judaism, um, and a lot of the more ancient texts and how much we could learn from, from those things, um, those lessons. And so I started becoming a yoga teacher, leading my own retreats. And so now what I do is I kind of, live in both worlds a little bit. I do the sustainability consulting and I still work with companies on helping them go green and be proactive with their social and environmental outcomes. And um, I also host retreats that are for activists to help them heal and reconnect with themselves in the movement for justice. Thank you for tuning into part one of the Bonner Broadcast Following Footsteps episode. Part two, as well as other episodes from this Postgraduate Pathway series, are available on the Bonner YouTube channel, as well as the Bonner Wiki. While you're there, be sure to check out the other Pipeline Project resources too. This episode has been made possible thanks to Claire Blim, Liz Brandt, Sarah Byler, Maria Guevara Carpio, Dr. Ari Hoy, and the Bonner Pipeline Project Committee. Special thanks to our featured guests, and to Ben Sound for the music. Bye.